This morning's message is called Everlasting Life. It's based on a scripture out of Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn thee. This morning I want to talk to you about God's everlasting love. I hope you walk away this morning realizing, remembering, how great is his love for me, and how faithful he is to to take care of us, to lead us, to guide us, and to answer our prayers. All of those things. This morning's message isn't like a normal message I would prepare. When I uh, was preparing, the Lord usually gives me an inkling of where I should be looking the week that he's studying. The Lord is speaking to me in my personal time with him, which way I'm supposed to be going. Nothing was coming. And then, you know, Monday came, and it's, okay, Monday night, study. Come on, Lord, let's jump right in here. <laughs> Nothing came. Nothing. Now, I'm reading, currently, five different books. So there should be something, right, that I could minister on. <laughs> but see, I don't minister because of a book or because of even what I read. I minister because of what the Spirit is stirring inside of me. And so I spent all Monday night praying and reading and seeking, and nothing came. Okay, Lord. <laughs> Come on. So, Tuesday came. Guess what? The same thing. And my husband's being helpful. Well, you can minister on this, or this, or this, or this. I said, yes, I could, except it's not in there. That's not what's in there. Nothing's coming. So, when nothing comes, I know I need to approach it differently. And so, in Bible college, we had a class called Hearing the Voice of God by Mark Verkler. And he teaches, it's really a very simple little process. I'll give you the two-minute word. <laughs> it's about journaling what you hear God say. It's not about keeping a diary. It's not about even what you see in the, in the Word. It's about being able to step out in faith, just like you did here before, only you do it on paper. You pray in the Spirit, or you worship, and you make yourself quiet. That's the first one. Make yourself still, because if you're anxious, you're not going to hear. You make yourself still, you worship, you pray in the Spirit, you tune to spontaneity. One of the points he makes is God speaks to us in our thoughts spontaneously. They're not necessarily logical for that particular moment. You may be doing something completely unrelated, and a thought comes. That spontaneity, that's the Holy Spirit. And then what you do is, without trying to decide if it's God or not, you start writing it down. The best way to hear Jesus is to ask him a question. He loves to answer. So often he's talking, but we're not recognizing that he's talking. So if we ask him a question then we recognize when the answer comes. The same thing is true when we read the scripture. If we ask a question, he answers every time. And that's the wonderful thing about Jesus, is he does answer every time. So, I thought, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. So, I have a little journal that I, that I keep just for hearing the words of the Lord to me. And as I went to go start this, I thought, I've got to look at my good words. <laughs> I've got to look at all these yummy things he's already said to me. 
Oh, I remember when you said that. Oh, yes. And what I realized is, every other page or so, this is something the Lord has always spoken to me, but when he gives me a word, this is almost always at the end of the word. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That has always, my whole Christian life, ministered to me. Because there were places in my life I was pretty sure he couldn't love me there. He couldn't love me then. But he says to me, I have loved you with an everlasting life. It's never waned based on your performance, good or bad. It's not about your performance. My love is based on the fact that I choose to love you. You're my creation. You're mine. And I love you, regardless of your behavior. So as I was uh, looking through this, I kept seeing this. The Lord kept highlighting it. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I thought, okay, Lord, I think the light is beginning to dawn. <laughs> he had reminded me that the week prior, he did speak to me. But I didn't think it was for you. I thought it was just for me. Because it has to do with the prodigal. I have a prodigal son. He was raised in church. I led him to the Lord. I led him in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When he was seven, he came to me. And he said, Mama, I want to hear God like you hear God. Because I was always saying, God says this, and this is what we're doing. <laughs> this is the law of the house, God said. <laughs> and, uh, and God would tell on them. So they knew God talked. And so one day he came to me at seven, and he says, Mama, I want to hear God like you hear God. And so we talked about the fact that Jesus lives inside. He speaks to our, uh, to our thoughts. He goes, I know that, but I don't think I hear him very good. Okay, well, maybe you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because that really does help us hear a whole lot better. <laughs> so we, I led him in that. After we prayed, he, we didn't speak in tongues in that, at that point. The church I went to didn't believe in that, but we believed in being spirit filled. So he ran off to play, and everything changed. Everything changed for him at seven. All of a sudden, I didn't have to correct him at all. Not once. You would see him start to do something naughty, and you would see the Holy Spirit start to speak, and he would stop. He would back away from the situation and handle it appropriately. And I'm thinking, hallelujah! <laughs> the greatest parenting technique on the face of the earth, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and this went on for like two weeks. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. i got to get all my children spirit-filled right now. <laughs> and then one day, his sister, Sarah, did something. I don't know what it was. I don't remember. But for him, it crossed the line. And he went to hit her. I mean, you know, whack her a good one. And he started, and he stopped. And you could tell the Holy Spirit's going, you don't want to do this. This is bad. <laughs> this is not going to turn out well for you. <laughs> and all of a sudden, his face changed. And he hauls off and whacks her. Right? So 
I'm like, okay, come on. I saw the Holy Spirit talk to you. I saw you listen. And then I saw you whack your dear sister. Whoa, why did you do that? I saw the Holy Spirit try to stop you. He goes, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't let me do anything I want to do. <laughs> I said, because he's protecting you. <laughs> he's protecting you from getting yourself and other people into trouble. <laughs> so I know my son knows Jesus. I know my son knows the Holy Spirit. He grew up. He married a lovely Christian woman. He studied for the ministry. And he's getting prepared to take over a church. And then suddenly, he walks away. Suddenly. Now, I have to remind myself of certain things when I think of my son. The truth of God's grace. The truth of God's everlasting love. Like the prodigal in Luke 15, he has gone into a far country that we call the world without explanation. The son listed as the prodigal didn't give his father an explanation as to why he wanted his inheritance and why he wanted to squander it. <laughs> he just wanted it. He just wanted his own way. And so the, the father gave him his way. That's the story of my son. But God. I have to remind myself when I go and peek at his Facebook page to see what he's up to that my father is not counting his sins against him. Second Corinthians 5.19 says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In God's loving kindness, he has provided Christ as our payment for all sin, for all people, for all time. It was all taken care of at the cross. Does that mean that everybody is saved? No. <laughs> everybody has been reconciled in God's mind. When God looks at someone who is not yet regenerated, he is not counting their sins against them. This is amazing. This is astounding. Because we count everybody's sins against them. <laughs> And the truth is, God doesn't count my son's sins against him, but everybody else will. The government will, his spouse will, his children will, his employer will, everybody else will. Grace works first and foremost vertically. We become dispensers of grace, but we first have to receive. You can't give out something you haven't first received. And so, when I get to see my son, I don't preach to him. I want to. <laughs> I want to. And part of me goes, you know this. You studied this. You know better. But you can't do that, because that only brings condemnation. God has provided salvation for everyone, but salvation comes to a man through Christ only by Christ coming to live inside of him. Salvation is now an inside job. That's the basic difference between the Old Covenant and the New. Salvation is an inside job. You see, in the Old Covenant, condemnation was very needed. 
<laughs> because salvation was all about your outward performance. God had to have a way for people to understand what was wrong. He gave them the law. Even in the law, the truth is, they only had to do their best. This is the amazing thing about the law. Even though God said, this is the standard, this is what you're supposed to try to reach for, he said, I know you can't, so I'll make a sacrificial system. So basically he was telling them, do your best, <laughs> and when you fail, bring a sacrifice. It really wasn't that hard, because they only had to really do their best. But he had a terrible time with the Israelites. <laughs> they were always wanting to color outside the lines. And because they were always wanting to color outside the lines, he had to use outside means to bring them back into line. Why shouldn't Christians sin? If God's not counting my sins against me, why couldn't I just sin? Just have a party, right? Some people ask the same question. They ask Paul that. Should I sin that grace may abound? And his answer was, God forbid. You see, that's not who you are. If you've gone out into a far country, it's because you don't know who you are. And you don't know who your daddy is. You don't know how much you love. We shouldn't sin because it condemns our conscience. And a condemned conscience will frustrate your faith. See, condemnation is believing for punishment. I cannot believe for good things and punishment at the same time. It doesn't work. One of the main reasons a Christian should purposely stay away from sin is because it wounds your conscience. It gives you a guilty conscience. And then you have no confidence in your Father and His goodness. So it frustrates our faith. One of the reasons that it frustrates our faith is because it's hard for us to believe that God is not mad at us when we sin. Because some part of us thinks he really should be mad. <laughs> I really do deserve a spanking. <laughs> I had a conversation one time with a believer who was, who was wandering. Loves Jesus, but lots of wounds in their life. That's a hard thing. And when I would talk to her about the Lord, she'd go, you know, if God would just spank the daylights out of me, I would be happy. <laughs> I said, you don't get it, do you? Spanking the daylights out of you would not change your heart. You're wanting God to punish you so that you'll feel better. So that you can pay for your sin. There is no payment for sin in our part. All the payment... The only acceptable payment was Christ. And I'm guilty. Oh, I love to beat myself up when I fail. <laughs> I expect so much better of myself. <laughs> but you know what? God never gets mad at me. Because God knows condemnation does not work in his favor. Now, a lot of Christians believe condemnation is a good thing. That if I feel condemned, that will teach me to say no to ungodliness. If I feel shame and guilt, those bad negative things will teach me to stay away from bad behavior. But that's not what the Word says. The Word says His grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Not punishing ourselves. That's simply self-righteousness. 
The truth is, <laughs> self-righteousness won't save us. It won't help us. It doesn't help God help us. You see, condemnation says, God is against me. Christians often have difficulties in certain areas of their life, and they try in self-effort to overcome, to change their habits, to change their thinking. A lot of self-effort. And what they find is it doesn't work. It works for a while. We call it behavior modification. If we change our behavior consistently enough, it will produce a certain amount of change, but not lasting change. You see, God knows condemnation works against us, not for us. And it works against him. Because if we think he is against us, how is he going to be able to help us? He wants to help us. That's why salvation became an inside job, so that God is always with us. One of the worst things I ever learned <laughs> as a Christian is that if I sinned, God left me. You will grieve away the Holy Spirit. I believe those things. And so every time I sinned, I was pleading with God not to leave, pleading with the Holy Spirit not to leave me, sounding a whole lot like David. <laughs> Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And we used to sing that so well. <laughs> Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Old covenant, outside job. New covenant, inside job. <laughs> Old covenant, condemnation. New covenant, grace. Absolutely free love and kindness. We need to remember that if we wander, and we do. We get off track sometimes, not on purpose. We're human beings. If we wander, even the slightest bit. See, but what I see is that Christians, good Christians, solid Christians, feel like prodigals because they're struggling with something in their life. They feel like they have wandered away from God because they have a, a, a particular struggle. It's such a lie. You see, Jesus said the parable of the prodigal son, if he were to say it today, the father would pack his bags and go with him. He wouldn't stay home. He said, if you're leaving, I'm leaving too. I'm bringing all my stuff with me. So everywhere you go, I'll be right there to help you. Old covenant, outside job. New covenant, inside job. It makes all the difference in the world. Should we do nothing about sin? What does sin do to a Christian? Galatians 6.8 says, For he that soweth to the flesh shall reap corruption. And that word reap is harvest. What I like about that is harvest comes at one particular time. If you think about that, God will allow us. He does. He lets us do whatever we want. That's the bottom line. If we want to leave home, he will go with us. But he will let us go. <laughs> Sin has a way of you plant it, and 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 you plant it. And then suddenly, there's a harvest. And it's not good. And we and so many Christians go, God, why did you do this to me? And God said, oh, sweetheart, I love you. Let me hold you and catch you and make it all better. But the truth is, you did that. <laughs> that was your doing. <laughs> I will still help you out.
if we have a problem, and so many Christians struggle simply with just being faithful. They haven't learned, really, the love and the voice of the Holy Spirit. If we struggle with something, if we know we run to him, not away from him, we run to his grace, which is his power to help us overcome. We run to him, knowing he's never mad. Never mad. Never mad. No matter how big we think we've blown it. I have a very, very dear friend. Loves Jesus with all of her heart. But she has a temper. <laughs> and if, if she could strip out her temper today, she would. In a second. She is always managing her temper. And because of her temper, she gets so condemned. Oh, I shouldn't have been impatient. Oh, I shouldn't have been this. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Because she, she is, she is amazing. She will pull you with her eyeballs. <laughs> and then be very sorry she did. <laughs> See, that struggle in her, that sense of condemnation, is the very thing that keeps us from overcoming. If we recognize that condemnation is never God's fault, because condemnation is about being punished. I love the fact, one of my favorite words is propitiation. We use it every day, don't we? <laughs> propitiation. Jesus is my propitiation. He is the satisfaction of God's wrath. He became the satisfaction. God is satisfied that their sins have been thoroughly punished. God is satisfied that there is no more punishment for me, even when I screw up. He's not interested in punishing me. He's interested in helping me grow out of that, to grow into his love and into my identity and into his kingdom and into his power that I walk in the glory of who he is and not according to my flesh. But flesh will reap a harvest. It always does. <laughs> That's why we as Christians don't mess with sin. The other reason we don't mess with sin is because we don't like it. <laughs> we don't like sin. It makes us miserable. We get so unhappy. A cranky Christian is usually having a problem. <laughs> Something is in their craw that they're not overcoming. <laughs> so Jesus came to live on the inside of us, and he brought life and life more abundantly. Unfortunately, what he does to Christians and to the world is he offers them a fake abundant life. He says, abundant life? Oh, all the beer you can drink. Abundant life? Oh, all the women you can have. Abundant life? Oh, all the drugs you can do. Abundant life? Planting, 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 harvest. It always comes. But God's grace is greater. Now my time is up, and I haven't even started my sermon yet. <laughs> well, what I'll do is I'll read some scripture to you. What I was going to do is um, actually do like Bible study, because that's basically what it is. When, and when you look at the, uh, the book of Jeremiah, it's an amazing book. Most of it, you sum this up in 
five minutes. <laughs> Most of it is about God's judgment. People often ask, what happened to God between the Old and the New Testament? Why did he go from being so cranky to being so nice? <laughs> what happened to change God? God never changed. His covenant did. The covenant makes all the difference. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were under the Mosaic covenant. Everything outside, an exterior religion. They could not become regenerated human beings. They could not receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. They could not receive the new life that God wanted them to have. Christ had not yet come and paid for it. So he has to deal with the Israelites from the outside. So that's why God basically had to get really hard. Give God kudos here. God was long-suffering. Always. Always. He did not. He did not slap them every time they stepped out of line. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet saying, Repent, and I will I take you back. You don't have to do anything to make yourself right. Just turn and come back. Just turn and come home. Come back to me. I forgive it all. Just be my people. Let me take care of you. Let me protect you. Let me provide for you. And they said, No thanks. We like the fake abundant life. We like all of our idols. We like all of our so-called gods. We like being, to do, being able to do whatever we want to do and still pay lip service to the ones who are living God. This was not acceptable to God at all because Israel was supposed to be a light. That they had the one true and living God, the only people group on the entire world that has a relationship with the one true and living God, and they were saying, no thanks. God could not let them continue in that because it wasn't just about Israel. It was about us. It was about all mankind. God loved Israel, but God loved all mankind. And in order to get the Christ here, he had to get Israel in line so that he could get Jesus through them. <laughs> and so he sent, he told them, and he told them over and over and over and over again, he is so long-suffering. The Holy Spirit gives us the fruit of long-suffering. God is so long-suffering. He never gives up hope on anyone. He knew if he was going to save mankind, he was going to have to punish Israel. And so he, he allowed the Assyrians to overtake them. And then after the Assyrians came, the Babylonians came and took them into captivity. While they were in captivity, in Jeremiah 29, he tells them, when you search for me, with all your heart you will find me. Now that didn't make any sense to a Jew, because the temple was in Jerusalem, and they were in Babylon. This was an astounding revelation to them, because they thought God lived in the temple. And God said, you don't understand. You don't need a temple, and you don't need a priest. This was mind-blowing. You search for me with all of your heart, and you will find me. I will make myself found. This was amazing to them, but it worked. While they were in captivity, when the harvest finally came, they recognized we brought this on ourselves, and they turned, and renewed their relationship with the one true and living God. God did that, not only for them, but for us. In the middle of Jeremiah, starting with verse, uh, chapters 33-33, 30, 
is called a separate book, actually. We don't mark it that way in our Bibles, but the Jeremiah understood it that way. It was the book of comfort and consolation. And what he says to them, he says, this had to be. This had to be. But I want you to know, there's coming a day. There's coming a day that I will restore your fortune. There's coming a day when you, because you have turned your heart towards me, you will see my goodness. And he said, I want you to know more than anything else, even though you've wandered so far, they were actually sacrificing infants to Moab. The Israelites, how far more could you get away from God than sacrificing your own children to a false god? But he says to them, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I never stopped loving you, no matter how bad you got, no matter how far you went. I never stopped loving you. Let me love you. Come back to me and let me take you, take care of you. And he says to them, because of this everlasting love, I have drawn you with cords of condemnation. Does that sound right? No. He says, I have drawn you with cords of loving kindness. Chesed. The New Testament would be called grace. That I love you where you are. Where you are. God's grace is the power that can God and the change in life. Amen? Let me pray for you since I didn't get to preach to you. <laughs> Father God, I thank you. I thank you that even now, with cords of loving kindness, with your great compassion and mercy, your arms are not too short to save. Your arms are not too, too short to reach. You are drawing the prodigals. You are drawing them back to yourself with this amazing message of absolute acceptance, absolute grace, this everlasting love. This everlasting love changes the heart of a man, changes the heart of a nation. Father God, I ask, I ask that you would bring forth a revival of this grace, that America would begin to be known as the place of grace, that they believe in a God that is so good, so long-suffering. The media would stop saying judgment is coming because there is no judgment coming. There may be a harvest, but there is no judgment. Father God, I ask and you turn the hearts. Turn the hearts. Turn the hearts of America back to yourself. Make us a nation that you designed us to be. A nation that proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord. Father God, I pray for all those here that when then Satan comes knocking on their door and says, you wandered, you failed, they would hear the voice of the Lord in their ear with an everlasting love. With an everlasting love. I have loved you.
and I am drawing you closer and closer to mercy with cords of loving kindness. Thank you, Father, for your grace, your presence, for all of the words we've heard this morning. They were so new. They're so new talking to us. We thank you that you love to talk to us. We love for us to hear the good things you have to say. I thank you in the name of Jesus, and I bless in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.